You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Fired Up, right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. This is Steve. I host the show for you every week as we look at how the political machine here in the United States functions or doesn't function, as the case may be. So welcome everyone. Sit back. Uh, we got a busy show to uh, go through today and I can't wait to get started. So as always, let's kick it off with our COVID report. And we are currently showing a uh, COVID case rate of 45.4 million uh, Americans who have contracted the disease. 736,000 uh, regrettably have died from the disease. And there have been 410.5 million vaccine doses administered, uh, which means that 54% of the uh, people who have received the vaccines are fully vaccinated, while 66.3 have received one or more of the vaccine doses. So we continue to make progress on that front. Uh, we continue to see a slowing in the rate of hospitalization as well as the rate of fatality from the disease due in large part to the vaccination and the uh, wider adoption of the safety protocols that we have been talking about on this show and, and you've heard in other media sources now nearly two years. So we continue to make progress and that's a good thing. Uh, there's still a ways to go. We still have a significant number of people in this country who are unvaccinated, uh, either by choice or due to uh, some reason such as religious exemption or so forth. And uh, the key word in that, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, and in fact, uh, if I could give this show a title, it's going to be uh, Choices. Uh, so let, let's kick it off with uh, choices in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, as I mentioned, you know, there are some, by, by some estimates, about 80 million people in this country who are still unvaccinated. Uh, many of those are unvaccinated by choice. And, you know, it, it is clear that in this country, we are free to make choices. And one of those choices you can make is you can choose not to be vaccinated. Um, but if you, you choose that route, just be aware and you should be aware that the overwhelming majority, better than 90% of the patients hospitalized with COVID-19 symptoms at present were those who are not vaccinated. Uh, in addition, you know, there is a lot of discussion out there about mask mandates in various parts of the country. And a lot of people who refuse to wear a mask uh, or refuse to be ordered to wear a mask under a mandate. Uh, and again, in this country, you are free to make those kind of choices. However, you know, you have to look at the consequence of your choices in that if you choose not to be vaccinated, if you choose, you know, never to wear a mask, even in those scenarios where it is advisable to do so, uh, such as being in large crowds or, you know, being in environments where uh, the, the risk of transmission from COVID from people who may have been infected is very high, uh, that is your choice. However, you know, you will have to live with your consequences. We've seen the newspaper articles and we've seen the interviews on television and radio 
of people lying in an incubator bed with a ventilator system going who were against getting a vaccine and against wearing a mask. And regrettably, many of those people uh, succumbed to the disease and ended up regretting their choice. So, you know, the, the, the advisory is, you know, while you have a right to choose what you want to do, uh, that's part of our freedoms here in this country, be aware that your choices carry consequences. And one of the consequences of not being vaccinated and not wearing a mask ever is that you are highly likely at some point to perhaps catch COVID and suffer some very, very uh, devastating consequences. Uh, we hope that doesn't happen. We encourage people on this show to please get their vaccine uh, injections and to wear a mask when it's, it's necessary for you to wear a mask. You know, I should state, you know, for my own case, I've been fully vaccinated now since March and I've had multiple COVID tests uh, over the months. Uh, I traveled to the Dominican Republic in May and that uh, was during the time when they were under a level four advisory and, you know, was in and about in the area of DR that I, that I, was, I was at and tested negative for COVID both uh, on exit from the country and a little bit later uh, just as a backup. Uh, I recently also had to uh, have COVID testing done uh, prior to a trip down to Georgia. And again, COVID test came back negative, uh, practice, you know, good mask and hygiene um, protocols while I was down there and, you know, tested upon my return and still I remain negative for COVID at this time. So, you know, there is a benefit, you know, hopefully, you know, my story is not unique in that many of us out there who uh, have received vaccines and, and have been getting COVID tested, uh, whether it's for work or just for personal information, um, you know, can, can serve as testimony as to why it's important for, you know, us all to get vaccinated and us all to protect ourselves. So, you know, just remember, you know, we are free to make choices in this country. The one thing that we have to take into account is that usually choices have consequences. So, you know, while I would encourage you to get vaccinated, I would encourage you to wear your mask when conditions warrant, you know, when you're going to be in a, a crowded facility. I mean, there are places I go where, you know, I don't have to wear a mask because I'm fully vaccinated, but I choose to wear a mask because I'm unsure of the groups of people that I'm surrounded with who is vaccinated, who is not, and the likelihood that while the vaccine protects me from the disease, uh, there are what are called breakthrough cases where people who are vaccinated uh, can, in fact, get the disease, particularly if there are other underlying um, uh, conditions. You know, and, and in fact, this week, um, sadly, we learned of the passing of uh, General Colin Powell, uh, former Secretary of State, um, former uh, chief of staff of the the Pentagon, and he succumbed to complications of COVID 
which were exacerbated by the fact that he had a form of cancer and you know his age he was 84 so there are things that can increase your risk for being infected with covid that you need to be aware of and take into consideration as you go forth in public so while we extend you know our condolences to the family of of general powell we also as with many uh segments of his life can look to him as an example of some things that we should be aware of and take into account. So, you know, as always on this program, I encourage you all, you know, to get vaccinated if you're able. Practice your mask wearing and distancing as as best you can when situations warrant. And do what you can just to to protect yourself, your family, uh, and your loved ones from this disease because it is still out there. It is still roving around the country. There are still variants uh, out there that we've talked about on this show and that we are now seeing um, increased levels of the Lambda variant that are showing up in selected areas of the country. So we have a lot to be careful about and, you know, we, we need to make sure that we are making choices that make sense for us and make sense for the greater good of our family and our community. In other COVID-related news, uh, this week we learned that now all three of the uh, COVID vaccines that have been uh, either emergency use approved or fully approved uh, for use in this country, all three have also received approval uh, for use as a booster shot for the COVID and that the process of mixing and matching vaccines for a booster uh, has also been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. What that means is that if you had the uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you could get a booster of either the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines uh, and vice versa. If you had the Pfizer vaccine, you know, the Moderna vaccine can be used as a booster for you as well. Uh, the encouragement uh, is going out from uh, Washington, D.C., from the, the Biden administration, as well as the CDC and um, National Institutes of Health, that those in you know, the, the target categories uh, should get a booster uh, to their, their vaccine if it has been at least uh, six or eight months since you were vaccinated, uh, they are they are uh, suggesting and recommending that you do get a booster shot. And you know this is not a new process. Every year we get notified that we need to get a booster shot for our flu vaccine because the flu virus, you know, being a living entity, also evolves and creates variants year over year, and we need to re up our vaccine so that we are protected against the current version of the flu vaccine making the rounds. Um, additionally, this week, and this is great news for parents uh, and, and those with young children, that the FDA um, is in the final stages of approving vaccines for five to 12 year olds, which means that essentially all of the, you know, potential uh, um, P 
people who could get the vaccine from the ages of five on up uh, would be uh, eligible and able to be vaccinated. So, you know, there's there's talk going around of how this is going to be a boon to parents uh, to allow their children to attend in-person school, uh, you know, and this this is a, a, a really big set of news for that segment of the population. So, you know, to add to getting yourself vaccinated, um, you know, I, I urge that you speak with your doctor or medical professional and, you know, see about getting your children, you know, five to 12 vaccinated for uh, the COVID as well. So, you know, again, uh, a big week in COVID announcements. Uh, we're happy to hear about that. Um, I'd love to gather your thoughts on it. If you have an opinion on it, send it in an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com and let me know what you think. Um, you know, would you get your children vaccinated? Yes or no? Uh, what do you think about, you know, having your, your children being vaccinated and being able to be fully protected while they're in uh, in-person schooling. So we'll, we'll look for emails from you guys on that. And, you know, whatever comes in, we'll bring up on the show. So let's turn the page a little bit and get into our, our primary topic of this show, which is the political machine and the political system. And the uh, other big, you know, among many big political news events this week um, has been a lot of talk about the Biden administration's infrastructure plan. Uh, as you're aware, as we've talked about on this show, uh, the, the smaller of the two packages that have been proposed uh, has already um, passed the House and is, is sitting and waiting for approval in the Senate, which the Democrat Party can do on a party line vote. Uh, without needing any Republican assistance uh, to do that through the reconciliation process. Uh, the second component, which is the larger of the two, uh, originally slated at $3.5 trillion, uh, the Biden administration, in working with within their party and with the Republicans uh, in the Senate, have pared that back uh, to somewhere just around $2 trillion dollars, uh, so they've taken about a third of it off the table. And, you know, they are, are working the final details. And according to news uh, interviews from uh, House leader Nancy Pelosi this week, um, that it is, it is possible and, and maybe even likely that this, this new bill will come up for a vote uh, at some point this week. And, you know, uh, assuming that it will pass, we'll then go on to the Senate where we'll take up debate there. So, you know, the Democrats you know, are making progress. The package isn't as expansive and as large as they initially wanted it to be. But in truth of matter, and as I've said on this program, I, I think the idea of having these all in everything in the stew pot bills is, you know, a, a poor uh, tactical approach, um, you, they should be focusing on doing this in stages uh, so that they can demonstrate to the American people that their approach is working and garner the support and, and approval they need to move forward with the next set of packages. But 
I'm not in the I'm not in Congress. I'm just a guy with a mic. So, you know, it's just my opinion. But let's talk about uh, what's likely to come out and and what's likely to stay in the bill that the Biden administration is proposing now. So among the things that are likely to remain in the package, uh, a national four week paid family and medical leave plan, which has been shortened down from what was initially proposed at 12 weeks. Um, You know, so it, it would include reasons such as uh, recovering from a serious illness, caring for a seriously ill family member, or caring for a new child. Um, the White House said the program will provide workers up to $4,000 a month with a minimum of two-thirds of average weekly wages replaced, raise, rising to 80% for the lowest wage workers. Another element that uh, is going to be in the bill is universal pre-K or pre-kindergarten schooling for three to four-year-olds. The federal government would pay for the entirety of the program for the first three years, and then some of the costs would shift to the states. Um, A one-year extension of the child tax credit originally expanded under the COVID relief bill. The credit has resulted in parents getting direct cash payments from the IRS for their kids. The White House has estimated that the tax credit slash the country's child poverty rate by 50%. It provides a monthly child cash allowance of $300 per child under six years of age and $250 per month per child ages six to 17 years old for families with qualifying incomes. For those that receive Medicare, uh, $800 vouchers to help cover annual dental costs will be included in the package. The original proposal would have expanded Medicare coverage to include dental care. This will be based on a voucher system, so you would submit and be reimbursed. Uh, Funding for child care centers to offset the cost for families and reinforce the industry's workforce, made up mostly of women and particularly of women of color, the industry was hit particularly hard by the pandemic and officials believe easier access to child care will make it easier for parents to get back to work. Uh, Another element that will stay in will be increases to Pell Grants for low-income college students. The Pell Grant program is the primary college financial aid program for students in need, helping more than 6.7 million students last year. The proposal would increase the current maximum of $6,495 in assistance a year by $500, so just shy of $7,000 a year. Uh, Unspecified climate change funding uh, will be rolled in, including tax credits for green technology, elder care provisions, including increasing home health care funding and reducing health care premiums. The plan originally called for $400 billion investment in expanding home and community-based services, but that's expected to be scaled back. Uh, a boost to Affordable Care Act subsidies for those using the federal system to buy insurance, which will make it more affordable. And uh, another is a public option for individuals who can't get Medicaid in their state. The move, which was championed by Representative Jim Clyburn, uh, Democrat of South Carolina, and Senator Raphael Warnock, Democrat of Georgia, would make it easier for more than 2 million poor people in states that rejected expanding the ACA to get coverage. So those are are, um, 
some of the things that have stayed into the administration's proposal. Now let's take a look at some of the things that uh, have been dropped out of it in the pared down bill. Um, one of them is free community college. Originally, the proposal was to have included two years of free community college uh, uh, available, which would have cost $109 billion a year. Uh, and expanded Medicaid coverage that would include dental, vision, and hearing benefits, uh, an effort that had been championed by uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, who's independent of Vermont. The Clean Electricity Performance Program will also be eliminated, which would pay electric, electric utility companies that switch from fossil fuels to renewable or clean energy sources and fine those that don't. Uh, the measure opposed by Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, but Biden said Thursday he's still hopeful that it will be included. And some tax rate hikes on corporations and top income earners, which are opposed by Senator Kristen Sinema, Democrat of Arizona. The White House has looked for other ways to tax businesses and the wealthy and continues to exist, insist any deal will include some new revenues for the government. And just a side note on the, the Clean Electricity Performance Program, there was a report that came out in the news over the weekend that uh, cited a World Health Organization uh, study that showed uh, converting the, the uh, top 15% of coal-fired plants from coal to natural gas could reduce the uh, greenhouse gas emissions of those plants by up to 73%. Now, that uh, would mean that some 15,000 coal-fired plants um, in, in the U.S. and around the world would be or could be converted to burn natural gas and create a substantial benefit in terms of uh, lowering the carbon dioxide and, and greenhouse gas outputs of these facilities uh, in, in an effort to combat climate change and global warming. So we'll keep an eye on that. As I said, that just popped up on the radar on Sunday. Uh, I'll follow up and, and keep an eye and bring you more news as that comes out. So, you know, here we are. The Democrats proposed $3.5 trillion. It's now been pared back to, depending on which sources you listen to, between about $1.8 and $2 trillion. Uh, and at that level, uh, there is some optimism that it will, in fact, pass through the House and should arrive at the Senate. And we will wait to see what happens uh, in the Senate. Uh, of course, you know, it, it will likely be subject to a filibuster there unless there is some compromise efforts worked out between the Biden administration and Senate Republicans to uh, pass that bill through and then get both packages to the president's desk for signature. You know, um, one thing that we've talked about on this show, and we, we've mentioned it a few times, and it is strategy and tactics um, you know there is a a strategic approach that can be taken and then there is a tactical approach uh, strategy is the formulation of the plan tactics is the implementation of that plan 
the the Democrats really, uh, in my opinion, uh, really have fallen short on both their strategy and their tactics. As I said, you know, earlier in this segment, uh, they could have put together a package of programs uh, under this infrastructure bill that clearly focused on the hard infrastructure things that needed to get done, uh, get those started so that the American people can see, you know, what the benefits are going to be and then move forward through, you know, the, the, the term to get the other items through. They could have approached it as a step one, step two, et cetera, et cetera. Um, rather than, than put these big, scary, huge packages together, which were almost guaranteed to come under scrutiny, criticism, and, and concern from the Republican Party, uh, they chose to do it this way. Um, so hopefully this administration and future administrations will learn that and climb the mountain one step at a time instead of trying to take three giant leaps to do it. Um, let's, let's take our break here. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about some more uh, issues uh, around one of our favorite subjects here on Fired Up, and that is the subject of the efforts by the Republican Party at redistricting uh, in, in the areas that they control. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. We'll be right back after the break. Hi, folks. It's Steve from Fired Up. As you know, on this show, we spend a lot of time talking about COVID-19 and the effects it's having on our country, on our community, and on our families. I wanted to give you a couple of public service announcements that came from the University of California at San Francisco. The first is from Dr. Star Knight, uh, who is a, an MD at uh, the University of California at San Francisco. And the second is from Jonathan Butler, PhD, also from the University of California at San Francisco. Please take a moment and listen to these two important messages. And again, consider carefully uh, about getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, this is a public service announcement from us here at Fire It Up and from your friends at WJMSRadio.com. I first got the vaccine, number one, as obviously to protect myself, but, but honestly to protect my family. I've had direct discussions after getting the vaccine with members of my own family, and I, I think in general there was just kind of overall skepticism, especially in the black community, but in black and brown communities alike. Uh, there's a his, there are historic health inequities, and so there are reasonable concerns from members of those communities. And that's a community that I belong to as well. And that's why I had to inform myself and look at the data myself. The data was very reassuring. And one thing for me as a Black American was seeing how diverse the patient population was in each trial and, and feeling comfortable with that as well. There is lots of misinformation in the media and it's hard to combat that. And so I would go with trusted sources, medical professionals, people in your community, people in your family, ask about their experiences and get familiar. I first heard about the COVID vaccine, I was a little bit uneasy. Um, I didn't know much about it, didn't know whether or not it was safe or effective. So I did a little bit of my research. Uh, I realized that it was safe, it was effective, and then the side effects were very minimal. Everyone has a choice to take the vaccine. And if you don't feel comfortable now, it's okay. 
One thing that is important about the vaccine is the vaccine is for us. African-Americans who have higher rates of dying from COVID-19, the vaccine can actually save our lives. Not only save your life, but save the life of your family members. And so when people have a hesitation around taking the vaccine, again, you should consider what are the benefits of me taking the vaccine versus the risk of me getting or having long-term effects of actually getting COVID? And once you consider that, once you've talked with your doctor, then make a decision of whether or not it's okay to do it now. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. And we're going to pick up where we left off. I wanted to follow on something that I ended the first segment on where I was talking about strategy and tactics. Uh, as I said at the, you know, the end of the last segment, um, I, I faulted the Democrats on their strategy of an all-or-nothing, a take-it-or-leave-it approach. Uh, whenever you, you make that kind of approach to, uh, to an opponent, you always have and run the risk of them saying, I won't take any of it or I'll leave it. Then what do you do? So by putting, you know, this all eggs in one basket, you know, three and a half trillion dollar uh, package in front of the Republicans, uh, Democrats, in a sense, kind of forced their hand to say, no, we don't want that. And here we are uh, going through week after week of debate and discussion back and forth. Um, you know, again, we all have our own opinions. In my opinion, uh, I think a more uh, reasoned approach would be to to offer selected pieces of it as stages of an inter- infrastructure package uh, that would have been perhaps a little bit more digestible to the Republican Party uh, and to the American people as well. Uh, but the Republicans are also playing games in this. Uh, they are are playing that that old magician's tactic of getting your attention to what's going on with the left hand while the right hand is is doing what you want to do. Uh, the Republicans have adopted a uh, delay, distract, divide uh, approach in this in that they have placed these these issues that create a huge amount of public uproar, a huge amount of public discussion, while in the background they're working things more kin to their their tactical goals. And by that I mean, you know, the the redistricting efforts that are going on around the country, while, you know, the public is is, you know, paying in large part attention to the battles going on on Capitol Hill, uh, Republican legislatures in the state are moving forward with redistricting plans that are, you know, diluting the vote of, you know, minority districts and and other ways of disenfranchising minority voters. Uh, that's going to have very long-term effects. Obviously, in terms of redistricting, this is a once every ten year process. So, you know, whatever changes finally get adopted. Uh, the country's going to have to live with for the next 10 years. Um, you know, and a- as we've talked about on prior shows, uh, these redistricting plans, uh, for the most part, have been flying somewhat under the radar. Uh, some news outlets have been bringing them out, and I know we've been discussing them here. Uh, we've talked in past weeks, we've talked about redistricting 
battles going on in Michigan and in Texas, uh, in Florida, and in, I believe in Utah as well, where you know the Republican-controlled legislatures are dividing up areas where um, my, minority voters make up the majority of the population and blending them with, uh, you know, with white districts in order to create districts that are more favorable to the Republican platform rather than give a fair voice to all of the residents in that given area. You know, as I said, we've talked about this uh, pretty heavily over the last three weeks. You can go to our archive at soundcloud.com or, or tune in or go through the wjms.com uh, website and check out our prior shows to hear what we've talked about with that. Um, but in the most recent one that just came out this past week, uh, and this is a story from United Press International, uh, a federal court in Illinois has thrown out redistricting plans for the state as unconstitutional for violating the one person, one vote principle. So uh, again, to, to kind of give some background here, um, you know, the, the census and the redistricting efforts are codified in the Constitution of the United States. That is, every 10 years, every resident, uh, every person living in the United States is counted, and the results of those counts are used to determine how many uh, constituents each congressional representative will have and essentially how the control of the U.S. Um, House of Representatives is divided up. So every 10 years, we have these efforts at redistricting. And, you know, the party in power in each state uh, is the party in control of drawing district maps. And, you know, typically, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Democratic state or a Republican state, the tendency is that they tend to draw districts that favor their own party. Um, you know, there, there's been discussion about establishing bipartisan commissions. And in fact, those do exist in several states where the district lines are being drawn just based on the number of constituents living in a given area that would allow for each representative to have an equal number of constituents regardless of their political party. Um, and as I said, that's happening in, in several states, but the overwhelming majority of states are actually divided up along party lines. And since Republicans control the majority of state houses in the states uh, in the U.S., obviously the resulting districts end up uh, over over representing the power of Republicans versus Democrats, uh, where Democrats may actually physically outnumber Republicans. A good example of this, uh, as we've talked about, is what's going on with redistricting in Texas, where because of population shifts over the last 10 years, um, there are several districts which, you know, according to the old map, would be predominantly minority-controlled districts, and under the new maps would be diluted or watered down to make them uh, Republican districts. So, you know, we, as I said, we've talked about this uh, more times than I can count. It's part of the games that are played and part of the games we need to be aware of 
votes so that we can weigh in and make our voices heard on how our states are divided up. But getting back to Illinois, this ruling uh, is in response to two lawsuits, one of which was filed by the Democratic Mexican American Legal Defense and Education Fund, and the other filed by the Republican Party of Illinois. Uh, the federal court has consolidated these two cases together as both plaintiffs allege the June redistricting plan violated their right to equal protection under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. So the, the June redistricting plan uh, was a result of a uh, map that was drawn based on data that came from the American Community Survey uh, and which was approved by the Democrat-controlled General Assembly in May prior to the release of the 2020 U.S. Census. Uh, the census was delayed due to the, cor you know, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker signed the redistricting plan into law on June 4th. Uh, the suit was brought and brought before a three-judge panel uh, at the, the federal district level, and they ruled uh, last Wednesday that the plan created for both House and Senate districts were either overpopulated or underpopulated, which would dilute the voting power of their constituents in violation of the aforementioned constitutional uh, 14th Amendment. Uh, the defendants had argued that they had faced a constitutional mandate to enact the plan before June 30th as their reason for not waiting for release of the census data. However, the judges rejected this argument, saying there's no mandate saying the plans had to be completed by that date. The mandate, the, the ruling of the law states that if they were not completed by that date, a redistricting commission would take over. Now, if we step out of the article for a second here, um, the idea that the redistricting commission perhaps would have drawn districts that were either more evenly balanced between the two parties or based on the, uh, the population distributions, the demographics, would have favored Democrats over the Republicans. And obviously, uh, you know, with all of the, the, the headaches and arguments that would have ensued. The judges said the Democrats didn't wait for the census data to be released because of their desire to avoid handing over the redrawing of maps to a bipartisan commission, as I was just stating. Political, and this is a quote, political considerations are not unconstitutional and courts are reluctant to wade into, much less to reverse partisan maps, including those that amount to political gerrymanders, the court said. More quote, while there is nothing legally wrong with this approach, it is not a proper rationale for violating constitutionally required mandates, including the drawing of districts of approximately equal population. In other words, the judges said, the General Assembly may not dilute a large percentage of voters to advance preferred political outcome. The three-judge panel has uh, set a deadline of November 8th to submit proposed revisions to the map with the state to offer its responses and objections 10 days later. Uh, there's another hearing scheduled for November 5th. Um, you know, and according to Ernest Herrera, 
uh, Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund staff attorney, uh, quote, the court has affirmed what we have argued since Illinois began the redistricting process, and that is proceeding with redistricting using estimates of population rather than census enumeration data would result in unconstitutional maps. Uh, the Republican House leader, Jim Durkin, and Republican Senate leader, Dan McConchie, call the ruling in a statement issued uh, to the State Journal Register a victory for Illinois citizens, advocacy groups, and communities of interest. Uh, and quote, During this process, the Republican caucuses consistently demanded transparency and fairness in map-making, which were rejected by Democrats and Governor Pritzker. The court's ruling validates all the concerns that were raised during the Democrats' unconstitutional attempts to gerrymander Illinois. And we step out of the article here to point out the fact that in this particular case, in this particular state, the game's being played by the Democrats, not by the Republicans. Holding up the argument, I state many, many times that both sides play these games. All right. Um, back to the article. Uh, the ruling comes days after the Legal Defense Fund, with several other voting civil rights groups, sued Texas over redistricting plans on accusations that they are unconstitutional and strip Latinos of their voting power. So, you know, this this article falls in line with what we've been talking about on this show. Number one, that. You know, it, it is not just, you know, the Republicans uh, or just the Democrats that play these type of political games. Uh, number two, that we need to pay attention to the strategy at play and the tactics at play as we assess the performance of our elected officials of whichever political party we're talking about. And number three, that you know, we need to hold our elected officials accountable for the actions they take, particularly when those actions run counter to what general public opinion is, is calling for, as we've seen in, in this scenario in, in terms of district representation, as well as, as many others uh, that we've talked about here on this show and, and other media sources have brought out uh, over, over the years. So, you know, as always, you know, our call to action is to stay engaged, to stay informed, uh, to stay educated, and to stay in communication with our elected officials so that they know where we stand on, you know, these kinds of matters. So if you're, you know, living in Illinois, you need to pay particular attention to how these maps are being drawn, who's drawing them, and what the end result will be. Uh, and make sure that you let your voice be heard on the matter, you know, to your state legislatures and to your governor's office so that they're aware that if they're not following the will of the people, that there are changes that the people can make and that we will make. So, you know, all in all, as always, we say our, our call to action consistently is stay educated, stay engaged, stay informed. And, you know, let them know what you want them to do. So, you know, as I said, we're keeping an eye on redistricting efforts around the country. 
And as these plans come to light, as states announce uh, their preliminary plans, uh, we will do our best to assess them and, and find out the details and, and look at the pros and cons and bring that information to you. Um, however, that doesn't preclude you from doing your diligence and expanding the circle of information that you get, as we always call for here. Don't just listen to one side or you know, the other. Uh, if you're in the mainstream media, you know, listen across the spectrum. If you're listening in social media, you know, listen to arguments on, on both sides. Listen to the, the postings from both sides of the issue. The truth lies in the middle, good people. And, you know, it, it's our job uh, to find it and assess it for our value. Uh, no one is going to do that for us. Um, so, you know, again, the call out is, you know, what do you think? of what's going on. We've, we've talked about several states redistricting efforts over the past few weeks, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on how, you know, the states in general and your state in particular. Uh, go to your state websites and look up the redistricting map and see how your districts are drawn. See who uh, represents you and, and see who else they represent. You know, is is your district uh, a majority of one party over another? Is it a majority uh, minority district? Is it a majority white district? Look at the demographics and see how that plays into how your state legislature and your federal elected officials uh, respond to the needs you have in your state, because that's the way it works. Uh, send any questions you have or comments you have to FiredUpRadio at Yahoo.com. Uh, I I really would like to hear what you have to say. Uh, so a couple of other things that are, are tripping around the news. You know, we've, we've talked about COVID booster shots. We've talked about redistricting. We've talked about, you know, a, a lot of stuff this show. But there's, there's always still more. So let, let's, let's take a look at a few quick takes that we can go through with the, the minutes we have remaining here in the show. Let's take a look at the filibuster. And again, it's another subject that we've touched on frequently here on this show. Uh, for those that, that don't know or, or aren't fully understanding, the filibuster in the Senate is a rule as part of the Senate rules package. Number one, please keep in mind, it is not a federal law. It is just a rule of the body of the Senate uh, that... Uh, can require a 60-vote threshold for certain uh, legislation in order for that legislation to pass. Uh, in the past, it was 60 votes needed to approve uh, federal judges and Supreme Court justices, uh, which the Republicans uh, eliminated from the filibuster rule uh, and in, in order to allow them and give them the freedom to, you know, appoint the three justices they appointed in the Trump administration uh, by simple uh, majority vote, a 51-vote majority. Um, other elements that require a filibuster include uh, budget spending elements, such as the, uh, the infrastructure packages currently under consideration. So the argument has been that, um, you know, the, the Democrats should move forward with efforts to either eliminate the filibuster in its entirety or 
to enact additional exceptions, uh, as with you know federal judicial appointments, in the filibuster for you know these specific types of financial needs, and in in both cases um, there have been you know people on both sides of the aisle in favor and opposed, and the arguments are going back and forth as to whether or not the filibuster should be eliminated in its entirety or if there should be exceptions carved out for specific elements of legislation that need to be passed that could then be passed on a simple 51 vote majority. Um, the, the arguments uh, against, and these have been expressed by both parties over the years when they were on either side of the issue, is that if they eliminate the filibuster now, it is something that would come back and haunt uh, the minority party or the majority party uh, when the roles reversed, you know, either through a midterm election or through a national election. Um, you know, and, you know, there may be some validity to that argument that, you know, if, if we get rid of the filibuster now because it benefits us, we're going to be crying the blues in the future when the other side uh, uses it against us and it, it's our own fault because we voted to get rid of it. To me, again, as we talk about you know st strategy and tactics and choices, um, to me that's a weak argument. Uh, right now, with you know the infrastructure bill, and let, let's use this as the example, the things, the hard infrastructure things that are in this package of bills are things that our country desperately needs. We desperately need to have our roads and bridges uh, fixed and rebuilt or replaced. We desperately need to have our rail systems upgraded to standards at least as equal to other major developed countries in the world. Uh, the idea of expanding broadband internet service to all parts of the country is one that has been long talked about and long overdue and, you know, and, and so forth. There are many things in the infrastructure, the hard infrastructure package, that are absolute necessities of things that we need to get done in this country. Um, you know, and the, the idea that we saddle these vital elements with things that are, while important, don't get me wrong, but, you know, aren't critical infrastructure things. Um, these are things that, you know, could be brought forward as separate packages, in my opinion, uh, as the, the proof of how well the hard infrastructure improvements are are you know impacting the economy and you know the the all of the assessments all of the political discussions talk about how these infrastructure improvements will generate millions of jobs will stimulate the US economy which will go in effect to generate more revenue into the federal government to pay for these improvements down the road lessening the impact that taxes from your and my paycheck uh, will will need to be uh, garnished in order to to achieve this. Um, you know, again, strategically, we need to get these uh, items done. Tactically, we need to approach it from a, a staged approach. You know, let, let's deal with these critical infrastructure, hard infrastructure items first, and then deal with the soft infrastructure items, you know, as 
the economy responds and we are better able to afford them, thus lessening the amount of debt that we create and and the the burdens that are that are applied to the working and middle class of this country and so forth. Um, you know, it is, uh, you know, it is it is something that when you look at it from the outside looking in, you kind of have to ask yourself, you know, why didn't they think of this element of it? Or if they did think of it, why wasn't it pushed harder? So, you know, it, it's it's something, again, we have to be engaged with our elected officials. That is clearly a rule that we need to live by in this country as the voters, as the electorate. Uh, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're Republican, whether you're independent, uh, we need to uh, address these issues and stay informed and educated and engaged with them. Um, another, another point to consider, and keep in mind that, you know, in this show, I, I try not to speak about political figures, politicians, more than more so that I prefer to speak about the political system. But, you know, I, I look at the upcoming midterm elections and I look at the uh, national elections, you know, three years out, and I look and listen to all of the discussions going on uh, with regard to, you know, the, the influence of the prior president, the former president, and his his approach to things to how politics is going to go forward in the coming election cycles. And I say this, it is entirely possible for this country to address the issues raised raised by a, a Trumpian approach to things without having to engage with the person. Uh, we can have Trumpism without having its its namesake, without having Donald Trump. Um, you know, and, and I think more and more that we need to be communicating to our elected officials that same approach. Look, there are things that the 45th president did from a policy standpoint and regulation standpoint. Many things he, he did um, personally I don't approve of. Many things, uh, some things that he did were hurtful to the the middle class and working class families in this country, but there were other things that he did that actually benefited all Americans, and he should receive credit for them. And of course, the flagship item on that list is his vaccine uh, mandate program, Operation Warp Speed, uh, for which he rightly deserves the credit for getting the vaccines out into the marketplace in the, the short amount of time that he did so. We'll give him credit for that, okay. But that doesn't mean that we can't have uh, things akin and in line with uh, his way of thinking or, or his uh, segment of the party uh, lines of thinking uh, that are beneficial without the, the bad things, the negative things that the individual brought in along with it. So just something to think about. Um, you know, there, there's a silver lining to every dark cloud. And, you know, if, if we're going to improve, we've got to be more of a nation of glass half full than glass half empty people. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, thank you so much, as always, for listening. 
Uh, please send your thoughts and comments to the radio station email, to the show email at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I look forward to your comments. Please stay safe, get vaccinated, and I will speak to you all again in seven days. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.